you guys uh, expected it, I'm sure, but because I've been in jeans and t-shirts and in labor and delivery rooms for about three, four, five weeks, I thought, wow, I just want to be a person for a few minutes here and dress up and do something, you know? So uh, Mark sends his love. I'm so sorry he can't be here because the truth is it's just an interesting combination. I was raised a missionary's kid, so I am your itinerant preacher's kid, kingdom kid to the max. Okay, I was a kid who dreamt I smoked a cigarette and woke up crying. Wow. Talk about the guilt and the, oh, I want to do the right thing all the time first. And Mark was the opposite. He was a frat guy on campus who did everything that I dreaded, okay? And so it's very interesting coming together and working together as a team because we have two very, very different views. But it just shows that no matter where you start, Jesus transforms you. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And sometimes I think people that are raised in a church think, well, I'm a kingdom kid. I'll never be. And I'm like, are you kidding? You had years of faith infused in you that other people lost. Grab it and run with it. Or maybe you were very, very worldly. And you're looking at it going, wow, how could I ever have the spirituality? Wow, you have a gratitude that should just drive you. And so, you know, to me, it's just an amazing thing that we get to really follow Jesus. And today, just I want to share a little bit about my life, where I'm coming from, what I've been through to get here. Um, it's been a long journey, and honestly, it's been a very difficult journey. I, I'm not a person who's had one of these easygoing lives. I um, started off when I was young as a missionary's kid, and we were prisoners of war for a period of time watch people being killed in front of us, and watch the courage and the faith of my parents, and that infused a lot of faith in me. Uh, but then went through a lot of difficult things along the way, and um, I think what I've learned a lot is that God can walk you through anything, as long as you hold on to him tight. And so I just want to share something about that. You know, when I was in um, leading the campus ministry at LSU, and I was in my 20s, I asked this woman to speak who was 80-some years old, okay? So imagine if we had an 80-year-old speaker come today. And uh, her name was Mary Celestine. And what's interesting, I was talking to Mark about her this week. And remember, Mark and I knew each other when we were in our 20s. He was married to Diane. I was married to Barry. We were best friends, the four of us, okay? And uh, so this couple, Johnny and Mary Celestine, were in Mark and Diane's Bible talk. And they were friends of Barry's and mine. And Mark was talking about how they would go to Bible talk at 8 o'clock at night, get out at 9.30, and they'd be driving home, and Johnny would go. He was 80-some years old. Stop, stop, stop the car, Mark. We need to talk to that guy over there and invite him to church. He looks messed up. 80-some years old, 10 o'clock at night, he'd be out sharing his faith and telling Mark to stop the car on the way home from Bible talk because he saw a need on the side of the road. Well, Mary Celestine comes to speak, and the funniest part was she was sitting maybe that far away from the podium and it seemed to me that it took her 20 minutes to get here. I just remember thinking, uh-oh, this was a big mistake. She just am very, very slow, just shuffled to get to the stage. And when she got up, she probably said the most impressive thing I've ever heard from the pulpit. She looked at us all and said, it doesn't matter where you are when you are your age. It matters where you are when you're mine. And I was sitting there in my 20s, and I started shaking. I thought, that was really deep. And I have no idea what I'm going to go through from here to here. But I know that's true. So I'm here today to say the same thing. That it doesn't matter where we are when everything's going great and when you're on campus. It matters where you are at the end of it all. That's right. yeah. You know, it's kind of like it doesn't matter how great 
the Gators start out a game. We've got to finish strong, okay? We can't just, ah, we got to finish all the way, all right? We can't just, uh, no matter how good we look, we've got to finish strong. It doesn't matter how well you start a marathon. It matters whether you end it. Does that make sense? And so in our life as disciples, you have to finish strong. But you know what's interesting? When I look back in my life and I was sitting there thinking through when Jordan asked us to do this, what are the things that have helped me get here? What was most interesting to me is all the decisions that have gotten me here, I got and I decided on when I was your age. There are very few things that I added to it. It's very interesting. I just kept going back. You know, it's kind of like when they ask some of these football coaches, how do you have a game, great game? You pass well, you catch well, you throw well. You know, it's the same thing over and over and over again until you get it. Discipleship is the same thing over and over and over again until we get it closer and closer. And so really, um, I think having those deep, deep convictions makes such a difference. Let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. How many times have you looked at that? This, how many times have you guys heard this scripture this week? 15, 20, what do you think? Can you quote it yet? You should all be able to quote it by now, huh? It says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know about you, but every single day, the world is trying to mold me into its mold. I turn the TV on, and someone's trying to tell me I need to look better, lose weight, do something, you know, have more, change everyone in the world's trying to all day long. You don't even realize how much the world's trying to mold you into something. You have to deliberately fight against that. Because it's every single day. I mean, think about lying. Who thinks lying is wrong anymore? It's right to lie if it doesn't, if it protects someone. If your boss asks you to do it. There's a million reasons why it's right. Think about our sitcoms. We find ourselves cheering on sin. Sitting there laughing about people getting drunk. Laughing about things that hurt God. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a movie and you find yourself cheering for the adulterous relationship and you're like, what am I doing? Like, next thing you know, you're like, oh, you need to get rid of that jerk. And and you're like, what am I doing? I am cheering for adultery. You don't even get you're doing it. The world is so good at pouring you and casting you into a mold. You don't even get it. You just kind of find yourself, even the way we dress as women, you know, we start kind of compromising, compromising, and next thing we know, we're not that different than the way the world is. Maybe the things we say, the sarcasm, the cynicism, we start sounding more and more like the world and we don't even get it. You know, for me, one of the biggest challenges has been how do I stay apart from this world that's trying to suck me in? Because I know none of us want to be that. We wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have sacrificed this time. It's, it's just difficult. And I think for me, the first thing is knowing the why. You know, when I was in college, I, was script, I repeated the scripture to myself over and over again, 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died that I would no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me. And I, re- I remember repeating that like nonstop. 
why did he die? If I am living for myself, he might as well not have died. If today is about me, he might as well not have died because he died so that I wouldn't be that way. You know, and so it, it's such a challenge as we're in a world that is selfie-driven, right? We're spending forever taking pictures and posting them and trying to look like this illusion of me and my world is great. And God comes along and says, no, uh-uh, I didn't die so that you would do that. I died so that you'd walk into class and look around and see everyone and know that I put you in there for a reason. I died so, you know, there was a story in New York, I don't know if you guys heard of it, where someone came on a train with a gun, full view, walked through all the train cars, sat down and shot someone, and when they looked at the surveillance videos, people were in all those train cars on their phone, and nobody saw it. We're so self-absorbed, right? Can you imagine someone walking through the subway car with a gun and nobody's seeing it? But you can in some ways, because if you look around you, you'll see it. We're looking down, we're not looking up. You know, and so for me, that's been a challenge, because I am so selfish by nature. So selfish that I have to keep reminding myself, why, why, why do I do what I do? You know, when I, um, I'm really grateful that when I started out my Christian walk, I was at the University of Florida, and we had so much persecution. I am a people pleaser to the max. So I wanted the dorm and everyone in it to like me. And all of a sudden, there's an article that says, Crossroaders are part of a cult, da 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 da. And it was plastered all over the campus stuff. It was on, I walk into my dorm, it was on the bulletin board as I walked in. And I think God did that for me because I feel like I needed to decide once and for all what world I was gonna be in. I wanted to fit in so bad. And I couldn't. I had to either turn my back on God at that point or I had to step out of the world. Does that make sense? Because people were coming at me, you're in a cult, and it would have been so easy to say, no, 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 we're really not that. Instead of saying, well, if a cult means, you know, I had to really decide, wow, am I going to let what the world thinks about me matter that much? Or am I going to decide, look, I have one person. I'm living for an audience of one. And as long as he's happy, I'm good. You know, Galatians 1 was such a scripture for me. You know, if you're still trying to please men, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. I'd be like, wow, that's deep. That's deep. But I think to live that counterculture lifetime, you have to start at a young age deciding why do you do what you do. I love, love, love Mark. Um, Mark's deep gratitude for his salvation. Mark talks about all the frat guys that kill themselves or are overdosed and about waking up drunk and looking up and one of the guys that was a football player was high on drugs and was bashing himself into these glass walls, one after the glass, pane glass stuff, and blood and glass everywhere, and all of them were so drunk trying to stop him. And he said, you know, it was just such a lost world. And so Mark lives with this sense of, you have no idea how lost this world is. I think Satan works really hard to help us not think it's lost. I think we even see religious people, and we don't realize that being doctrinally wrong is lost. And sometimes that's the worst loss, because you think you're right. I'm so grateful for people who've loved me and put me back on track with scriptures when I got doctrinally off. You know what I mean? Because I get so deceived, I think I'm really right. But I think, you know, for me, like, I really just saw the why behind things, you know. 
Um, I, I'm going to tell a story about my, my first husband, Barry, because I think it, it really has a lot to do with all this. Barry was a kingdom kid. His dad was an elder in Abilene Christian. Um, came to University of Florida. We got married, and soon after we got married, at the late age, age of 29, Barry got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And um, really, the doctors thought he had a year to live. And I will never forget how shut down I became. I would get on the subway and I'd be just crying. I would stand by windows in, on Fifth Avenue in New York and just cry. Every, I just could not process it. At the same time, I remember Barry saying, you know what? The world is still lost and I have less time to do something about it. I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I didn't have like this great spiritual response. I was like, you're just like, this is, he said, I don't know how much time I have to do something about it. Do you know when he was going through radiation, he would take radiation in the morning, sleep, and then he would study with someone. I think he studied with 16 guys during the six-week period. Because the world was still lost and he had to do something about it. He didn't know if he was going to live that long. You know, he just faced life with fear. I'll never, with faithlessness. I'll never forget. Uh, we were together, and he, we actually had a day of prayer and fasting. And Tom might not even remember this, but Tom had put together a day of prayer for all these churches, and we prayed that God would give him 15 years, and that seemed like amazing, right? And uh, Barry lived 15 years. Wow. All three of my kids were born after he was given a year to live. My daughter's here today, and um, you know that was like a miracle. But you know what was interesting is I, my attitude was let's move into an apartment next to NYU Medical Center. I'm a nurse. That's a great plan. If you get sick, I just walk across the street with you. Barry's plan was let's go do everything I want to do. <laughs> so we were together and Steve Johnson comes up and says, how would you guys like to go start a church in Haiti? No running water, no electricity, malaria, yellow fever, and my husband has a brain tumor and has been given a year to live. My thought was no way. Barry was like, absolutely, I'm the perfect person to go. I'm not gonna die anyway. I was like, yeah, and I'm gonna be left with a, I had a nine month old baby. I'm gonna be left with a baby in Haiti in the middle of nowhere and your body. He's like, oh, you'll be fine. Do you know what I'm saying, people? Barry's courage taught me faithfulness. Yeah. I wish, I wish I would have, I could tell you the story of how I was the one who said all those things. Now I was the one who said, are you crazy? You know, but I look back and the decisions he made out of faith. Why? Because God had saved him and he really put his hand in the life in the hands of God. Yeah. You know, he was like, I, this, I'm not here for myself. I'm here to make an impact on the world. You're not here just for you. Right. Do you know what's interesting? Now as I look over history, all these different people in my life today that helped me after Barry died, they were all people that we had converted along the way. Wow. It's like the wildest. It was like all these people we randomly studied the Bible with, helped out, just stepped up and carried me at a time after Barry died. All the guys that he had converted. And I had no idea when we were in the middle of it what God was going to do with it. You have no idea when you live that countercultural life, you have no idea the abundance of blessings God is going to give you. You have no idea how rich it's going to be. But you have to be willing to make those really radical stands. You know, I think of what, like what are we doing and why are we doing it, you know?
And uh, you guys with me? Yeah. I think it, I think it's important for us to once and for all decide we're not here to fit in. I think somewhere along the line, you have to write a letter. Dear God, I am not here to fit in. I need you to help me to stand out. And you have to turn that in, you know? Like, turn yourself into God and say, all right, whatever this takes, no matter how scary it is, you can use my life. I have, you have one life to live. There's no rewind. You get it? You can't rewind what you did or didn't do last year. But you can start again today. And what's amazing is you can make such an incredible difference if you live counterculturally. Well, what does that mean? That you really, everything is processed through the eyes of what would Jesus do? I know that we've heard that a million times, but honestly, if I could say the one thing I've done right is I keep my eyes on Jesus. And every time I get lost, you know what I know? The way home is Jesus. Every time I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why am I like... Wow, so critical. Why am I so not apathetic? I don't want to do what's right. I just go back to, who saved me? Who is he? And I fall in love again, and he brings me right back on the right path. See, God knows how to get you to where you need to be. You know, as women, I'll speak to the women, you know, we get so emotional. How many of you get really emotional? Okay, so I'm a woman, but add to that I'm a Latina woman. So we kind of earned the right to be twice as emotional. Uh You know, and Latinas very used to say to me sometimes, honey, it's like a conversation without a topic. I don't know what you're talking about. I'd be like, and, and, and I went everywhere. But you know what helped me a lot was when I got it, that God never is confused about what's wrong with me. He doesn't have a conference up in heaven and says, Jesus, Holy Spirit, let's talk about Lynn. What is going, he's so clear, and if I'm humble enough to keep my eyes on Jesus, he'll lead me from being another emotional woman driven by my emotions to being a woman of deep conviction who knows how to deny herself. And that's countercultural, right? I mean, we live in a culture that we indulge in our emotions so much. I think, um, I think how do we, how do we do it? I think that We've got to have relationships in our life that really make a difference. Let me ask you this. Who really knows you? Like your thoughts, your attitudes. Um, Who do you call within 24 hours when you're off? That really gets, wow, you're really off. That you don't have to get them caught up all the time. You know what I mean? Because they really, really are caught up. I think how we live a countercultural life is by really letting people in our lives in a very real way. I remember, you know, being overseas in the Bahamas, very having a seizure, and being all the emotions and feelings. If I hadn't had those close relationships, I would have just caved. Just caved. But people that can walk you through life are one of the greatest gifts you'll ever have. People that know you, that they can look across the room and say, what's wrong with you? And if people can't look across the room and say, what's wrong with you, you are really good at faking it. Make sense? We've got to be transparent so that people will know us, so that we can be counterculture and really make a difference. You know, so that we can, that's how we do this. I think another thing is sometimes you just need, I'm just throwing out different things that have helped me in this. Um, Sometimes you just need to act before you talk yourself out of it. 
Does that make sense? So how many of you are CTP and someone talks about, wow, church planning, and you're like, yes! And then you're like, you go home like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Oh my goodness, I yeah. can't believe that. I was telling the story the other day, Barry and I were sitting in a meeting and the elders came in and sat down with Barry and I and they said, we really want you to go, this is after we'd come back from Haiti, we want you to go to the Caribbean and plant churches all over the Caribbean. At the exact same time that I said no, he said, we'd love to. <laughs> and I sat there like, are you crazy? We just did this. We don't need to do it again. But you know, that was some of the best time of my life. The faith, the watching God work, the watching God use your life is so amazingly powerful. But if I had acted on what my gut response was, and what I've learned over the years is to have a lot more of a, you know what, I'm not here to figure what I want to do in my life. I'm really here to figure what God wants to do. This isn't my life anymore. See, see, the world is all about your life and what makes you happy, what makes you successful, what makes you fulfilled. But a follower of Jesus, it's, wow, God, use this one life I've got. Just use it till it's used up. I pray that a lot. Use it till it's used up and then take me to be home with you forever. I want to leave it all on the ground. I don't want to, you know, hoard and protect and take care of my time. I want to leave it all out here so that God can use it powerfully. God has dreams for each of our lives. I really believe that. But we have to turn our back on what the world is telling us is normal. We have to turn our back on our fears and turn our back on our worries and decide... No, I'm doing it God's way, no matter what. Yeah. I think countercultural is understanding. We talked a little bit earlier about understanding that sin is horrible. But that God has an answer to sin. And yet that's amazing. That every person, that when you start off in college with a deep conviction of that, I'm a nurse. I work at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. I'm in staff here. Um, I go into work, and I know that the people I'm working with every day are lost. That hasn't changed since I got out of college. That's not just college students. That's every day, everywhere I go, people need God. And so when we really have that deep in our conviction, it doesn't change with our situation. It doesn't change with the stage in life. You are who you are because it is you. It's not what you do. It is you. Move you to another situation, you'll do the exact same thing. Because it's all you know to do. It doesn't matter to me if they speak French where I'm going or if they speak Spanish or if they, if I don't speak the language, I'm a disciple. You know, if you hear stories about Mark, you know, Mark, when he would go to Africa, the first thing he'd do is go to English classes because his goal was to convert an interpreter. So whoever's teaching English has got to know some English. (laughs) So they're teaching French in Abidjan. He studied the Bible with the guy. He became a disciple right after he got to Abidjan. He had someone to translate for all his studies from there on out. <laughs> because he was not planning not to study with people. See, Mark was an, is an accomplished doctor who knows his stuff, who's fantastic at what he does. But he's actually a disciple who just happens to be an accomplished doctor. He's not an accomplished doctor who happens to be a disciple. His identity is entirely wrapped up in following Jesus. When our identity is entirely wrapped up in following Jesus, the heck with what the world says. They're lost. I'm not going to follow them. I'm supposed to pull them out of the mess they're in. And I can do that with the power of God. You know, God has... um, 
God will walk us through whatever we go through. And I, I think the biggest conviction I didn't have when I was your age that I've learned since then is that um, it's a lot harder than you thought it was. It's a lot harder than you thought it was. You know, I, um, my husband got diagnosed with a brain tumor when I was 28 years old. I felt like, oh my, I look at my kids now and I stare at them and I think, oh my goodness, your dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor when he was your age. Wow, that's intense to think of that. And he faced life with that kind of courage. But suffering is going to be part of your journey. Disappointment is going to be part of your journey. Suffering is a great teacher. Not only is it a great teacher, there is no substitute teacher. And let me tell you this from someone who's been through it. If you don't pass it the first time, guess what? you got to take the class again. Because it does transform you. You will not become like Jesus. There's no way you can even take Jesus and pull suffering out of the picture. Get it? Because that was part of his life. But suffering makes us look at people differently. It makes us compassionate. It makes us tender. It makes us more like Jesus. And that's part of counterculture. When the world suffers, they get angry, they get hard, mm. they get bitter, they withdraw. Yeah. When a follower of Jesus suffers, they become tender, closer, more raw, more honest. Maybe not at first, okay? Yeah. I did not at first. I did all the things the world did first. And then I realized this is not really spiritual. Um, but once I did, God transformed right. my life. And so I just want to encourage you that um, there is nothing in this world that compares to following Jesus. Right. I, um, I have been very fortunate. I have met a lot of people that are very influential. I worked in New York um, around a lot of very influential people. I've never met someone who is not a disciple whose life I was jealous of. And I'm talking about really influential people. I've never met someone I thought, I wish I had your life. Because without God, without the ability to pray, without forgiveness of sins, without real honest relationships, without someone guiding me through life, I don't know what I would do. Sure. And so we get to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. It's not that we have to, we get to. We get to be transformed. We get to have a different mind this year than we had last year. I used to tell my kids when they got mad at me, I'd say, hang in there. In two more years, I'll be a different person. If you don't like me now, I'll be different in two years. We grow. We change. We're different. Yeah. I'm a different person than I was three years ago. I can't wait to find out who I'm going to be in two years. God is going to continue to transform us as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't limit what he wants to do with your, world, your life because it's powerful. It's powerful and it's exciting. And it's funny, it's not like it's over. I'm 59 years old and I look up at life and I'm like, all right, we need to do this, this. I have like a list of about 50 things right now that I need to accomplish. They're important. Getting a singles ministry all over the world, getting it strong, getting it powerful, getting women to speak, getting, there's so many things that are endless in the dreams that what God can do. If you walk with Jesus, the, end, the dreams stay limitless. And your life, is the abundant life you were meant to live. Thank you so much for letting me show you.
You know, I don't think clapping is good enough. We should like salute or do something. <laughs> like, wow. Soldier Lynn. I mean, you know, hey, you gotta be inspired. Especially if you're a brother who hates suffering. You know, you know, the, wow, just uh, you'd be inspired to have a life, uh, a lifetime living counterculturally. So um, I think most of you have met Jordan Beatty, Lynn's daughter, one of our in our sister ministry in Athens. We love our brothers and sisters in Athens. And so Jordan, we just want to say thank you for sharing your mom with us. You know, today and uh, Lynn, thanks for the life you live and the way you love all of us. I'm just going to borrow or take a couple of minutes of Mark's minutes and just say a couple of things. Um, back um, back in, in 1969, I graduated from high school, and it was like a big time moment in, in the history of the world, wow. and certainly in American history, not my graduation from high school, so I probably need to reframe that. But as a country, we accomplished something that people only imagined in their wildest dreams. And that we actually, as a culture, as a country, put a, a man on the moon, okay? And that happened right around the time I was graduating from high school. And you remember that statement that was made, one small leap or one small step for mankind? Or for, I want to get this right. <laughs> yeah, one small step for man, but one giant leap for mankind, okay? And um, for me... And uh, I went to uh, University of Florida as, as a freshman. Save the freshman, right? Yes. Yeah. Right? Time on campus. Save the freshman. Pray for broken bones. Just in case you need a refresher course. You know all that. And wow, am I glad that some people had a, a heart. I'm so glad I actually, God led me to a place where there was a campus ministry. And an excellent campus ministry. And same thing with Lynn. And same thing with Mark. And same thing with so many of you. And I got baptized on December 5th. Uh, 1969. I wasn't going to come to church. I only went once, and I never went back until the day after I was baptized, because I really didn't like church, and I uh, thought you folks were a little strange, okay, for me and the way I grew up. But I studied the Bible, and I met Jesus, and kind of just saw that Jesus is the guy who is the ultimate hero, and that I can respect, and I can follow. And so at four in the morning of December 5th, 1969, I got baptized into Christ. Called up the minister like around uh, 1 o'clock in the morning. Said, hey, I'm ready to go. And uh, we, uh, we went to the church building at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'd never seen a baptism, so I picked out my best clothes from the, that I had. Seriously, I mean, I thought, you got to look good, okay? And so I got my best clothes, and I went to the church building, and I got baptized with all my clothes on, my wallet in my pocket, my shoes on. Uh, the guys asked, hey, do you want to put on one of these? You know, so I said, no, I'm, I'm just let it, I, got, I picked this out. Okay, because it's the best stuff that I got. And, um, it, but it was because of brothers and sisters like you who had a campus ministry, who were living the life, and I could see it even though it was intimidating and scary and off-putting for just a little bit. And I made that initial commitment. Okay, for a year... I'm not, I'm not, because I play tennis every day back then, I'm not going to play tennis at all for a year, and I'm not even going to think about girls for a year. That was before friendship dating, you know, you know, came into being in campus ministry. And so it was really sincere on my part. I'm just going to take that time, and I'm going to focus in on that. And there were a couple of things. And so like what Lynn, you said is so true, the decisions that you make early on and that we helped you young Christians make early on and Hopefully we're going to have a couple of baptisms, you know, maybe even today and 
Tomorrow that we help our, our young disciples make those decisions, they will last for a lifetime. Right. And just thank God for everybody in your life that helps you maintain that. A few scriptures uh, that uh, helped frame my early Christian life. One is from Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And to have that as a dominant spiritual thought in my early in my early years and then eventually came in contact with that verse here am i send me okay that talks about hey i want to make myself available whatever god you want and use whatever the leaders are in my life and to, to help me frame that kind of vision but more importantly that kind of heart i think we want to really say a big thank you to all the people who helped do such a great job planning ctp thank you guys so much I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure you've already said thank you in, 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 certain, in certain ways, but while we really, really thank you, the campus staff here at North River, I mean, just poured your life into this for such a long time. All you guys who led, you know, the team, you know, uh, were team leaders and were serving and helping out in every way. Wow. Thank you for all the ways that you, you've served. And then as we go uh, back to different cities and different ministries and different adventures, you know, this summer. You know, keep the focus on Jesus, you know, our hero. That's really the total reason for why we're doing. And then also, not, not, not just hesitate, but embrace what Paul tells us to do. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so follow the great examples in your life. Okay, whether they're people like Len and Mark and others that have been living this life for many years, or even some of your peers, you just see them really in those areas they're following christ don't follow our mess ups and our mistakes and our weaknesses but where you see us following christ and 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 thank you guys that are willing to step up and be leaders bible talk leaders and be willing to help out in, in in leading summer missions and being able to to, to, to even have that dream of being able to lead, whether it's in a staff position or as an elder or a leader in the church as the years go by and and, and a special want to thank you thank you for people like the uh, Tom and Courtney and Jordan and Latoya and Brooke and you know to thank you guys and for Sam and you know and for Lindsay and Kendall and Mackenzie and Nick and Alyssa and Ida and Kyle and Allie and Kyle Eastman and Jonathan Drabo. I hope I'm saying the names right. I'm just going fast, you know. Here, you know, and Nikki and, and P Perry and you know, uh, Lake. Hey man, hey 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 hey. Okay. And you know what I'm trying to say. It's just all you guys who are out leading and serving in such a, you know, in such a special, special way. What I like to do is I close out my uh, counterculture for a lifetime thoughts would be a passage that I'm trying now to put in my life. You know, I've done okay on those first two. Uh, I'm really trying to have this one. I'd like to close out thoughts for this class in Acts chapter 20. And it's the theme scripture from one of our IC, uh, one of our uh, CTPs, you know, several years ago, Acts 20, 24. I'd like to read it and then for us to quote it together because this is the gold standard to me. I'm not quite here. I'm trying to get there because it's a, quite a statement the Apostle Paul makes. And uh, I think we all want to want to shoot for this. Acts 20 and verse 24 it says, however... I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task 
the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. It's a privilege to be able to be an ambassador for Christ right. and to testify to his grace in our life. And in the in the just a couple sentences before he says, I know I got I got some suffering ahead of me, some challenges ahead of me. But uh, I think I'd like to, us to close out with that thought and either read it along or some of you can quote it with me, and it starts out with the word however I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race. And complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Countercultural for a lifetime. Amen.